So just so you guys know, we're going to do John up to the end of the summer. I mean, end, up to the end of the fall, uh, the end of the spring. Uh, we're going to take a break over the summer. So if you're here for the summer, uh, we're going to do another series over the summer. So we'll still have Crosspoint and just be in the chapel. Uh, it'll be like a nice, intimate setting. It's like I can yell at you, and you'll be right in front of me. It's going to be sweet. Um, so that's this summer, and then we'll jump back into John uh, in the fall. So just a heads up on that. Um, okay, just keep your finger there at John 9. We'll get into that. I have a long introduction, and I'm aware of it this time. Like, I'm completely aware that it's long, all right? So you don't have to catch me afterwards and be like, that was 45 minutes. I, don't, I know. Um, I think I want to lay out where we're going before we jump into this narrative. It's just, uh, the story of Jesus and, and this blind man and the Pharisees. So I want to sort of lay out where we're going before we jump in. Uh, or, or else I think we may lose what John, the writer of this gospel, is trying to do with this story. Um, so uh, right relationship to God, right relationship with God, always, always, always results in worship based on Him. Like right relationship with Him and a right vision of Him will never result in like, eh, you know, He's okay. Like it, it, doesn't, like it doesn't happen. The vision of God, the right vision and right relationship to Him uh, always, always, always results in worship. And that was the point of his creation to begin with, so that he might be worshipped. Uh, the Psalms say the heavens declare the glory of God. And so that God creates things so that he might be worshipped, so that he might reveal part of his nature, part of his character in creation. Uh, and then people would see creation and be like, wow, God is awesome, or God is powerful, or God is good. Something, right? So think, think back to the garden. Um, and Adam and Eve are in this garden and God has made it. They're in perfect right relationship with Him. And so, and so He's saying, I've given all the fruit-bearing trees to you that you can do what you want. So I, I imagine that they take a bite of a peach. I love peaches. I'm just imagining this. They take a bite of the peach and they're like, oh, why? And I'm sure it was like just a perfect, ripe, beautiful peach. And they pick it and they eat it, right? And it's not, oh, wow, this peach is awesome. It's maybe that for a second, but then it's like it pushes up to the creator. Whoever made this peach has got to be insanely good. I mean, taste the peach. He's got to be insanely good. And so that all of creation, whether you like peaches or not, whatever it is that you do, thoroughly enjoy, maybe it's steak, right? Like you take... Cut it, rare, perfect. You slop up a little of blood, and you take a bite, and it's perfectly seared, and you're like, oh. Somehow God designed cows to taste good on my tongue, right? And that immediately results in worship, right? So when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about like the awe of God in His creative, beautiful plan. And so a heart and a person that is in right relationship to God will always result in that on a daily basis. So like I, can, I can feel that in my own life. Like I can feel that when I eat peaches sometimes. Sometimes I'm not in right relationship to God. Sometimes I've let things get in the way of that. Like guilt, shame, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. I've let all this stuff get in the way. And so I eat a peach and I'm like, mmm, peach is good. Real good. But that's the end of it, right? 
But there are occasions whenever it results into like, God makes a tree that takes dirt and turns it into peaches. He is crazy. Like, who came up with that? And he was like, you could spread poop around the bottom of the tree and it'll make better peaches. Like, that makes no sense. But God is like, in right relationship to God, that results in like, you are crazy, but good, but so good, right? Um, So what happens, what happened in the garden to begin with, and then what happens on a daily basis uh, is that our gaze is shifted, right? Right relationship is broken, and the result is no longer worship. And so I say that just to sort of, before we get into the sermon, I say that just so you can think about last week, yesterday, today, does your life overflow into worship never, seldom, often, where in there? Think about that. The things that you enjoy. It doesn't have to be peaches or steak. I, it could be broccoli. I, I, broccoli's good, but it, it could be whatever. It doesn't have to be food. It just is with me. Uh, but think about, think about that. Does that happen never, often? Where, where in there? What Does life, daily living, overflow in just this internal oh my god you are so good how often does that happen and i want you to as we're talking tonight as we're thinking about what happens in this text i want you to just consider for a moment that the reason that that's not happening is because there's something in the way Uh, there's something in the way Uh, if that never happens or seldom happens uh, there's an issue there that has to be dealt with because Romans, Romans 1 specifically is pretty clear that the reason God created all this is so that it might result in worship. And what happens is we'll shift worship. We're going to worship, but worship will shift from the creator to the creation. And that's, that's like a key to knowing that something has got to be fixed there because worship has shifted from where it was supposed to be in light of the creation that shifts it to the creator and instead what we as humans do will stop our worship at creation and so like you can obviously tell sometimes it happens with me with food like i have a rough week and i'm like i'm about to go drop 150 dollars on some good food and it's completely wasteful and stupid because i think that it's going to satisfy and i think it's going to fix what's going on in me as opposed to right relationship to god will And I think all of you have got something there. Most of you, no, all of you, have got something in there. When life's not satisfying, times are not good, there's just something weird inside and you will shift to the creation to be satisfied or fixed uh, instead of shifting to the creator. Um, And so I want to talk about one of the ways that happens tonight and then maybe deal with it tonight. Um, So 2 Corinthians uh, 4 uh, don't, you don't got to turn there. We're going to put it up. I think we are. If not, you can just listen to me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Um, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds 
of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It is up there. Sweet. Um, so uh, we're talking about the garden, and we're talking about Adam and Eve and being in right relationship and eating peaches, right? Uh, something very quickly happens uh, in the garden that separates men from God. Uh, it's not because they ate of the tree. It's because they thought God told them don't eat from this tree. They eat from the tree because they saw it was a delight to the eyes. It was good for food. And they desired to be their own gods. So they shifted from worship of the creator to worship of the creation. Basically themselves in that case. Um, and so something had to come in to fix right relationship to God to restore the worship and to restore things the way that it ought to be. Uh, what happens there in that story is you see there's, uh, they all get a little cursed, but the woman's curse is specific in that uh, it says that her seed, that she will have offspring that will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent's the one that sort of got this all going to begin with. Remember, he's on the tree and he's like, hey, eat some of these. Um, and so what happens is there's this prophecy about Jesus in there. That her offspring is going to be the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, and then so the rest of the, the Old Testament is fleshing out who this Messiah is going to be and exactly what he's going to do. And the reason I thought that was so poignant, what that guy said, that what shapes him is his failures, uh, that's exactly right. Because if you remember in the garden, what happens after they eat from the tree? They see that they're naked and they run from God. So they see their own faults and their own failures for the first time in history. And what does it cause? It causes a break in the relationship and they run from God. Instead of running to God, they run from God. And what does God do? He comes in, he chases them down. He's like, what's going on? Okay, yeah, you screwed up. That was dumb. But I'm going to kill this animal. I'm going to clothe you in its skin. And this is going to do for now. So I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to kill this animal because I want you to realize that sin equals death. That's the way it happens. You turn from the creator of life and you turn from the giver of life and the result is life no longer. It just makes sense. You don't even have to call that a punishment. That's just like the natural repercussions. That's just what happens. When you cut yourself off from the creator of life, death happens. Period. So something had to come in and restore right relationship. And so we're going to see through the Old Testament this Messiah is coming to restore right relationship. They don't really know how. They don't really understand. But Jesus comes along and he says, the way I restore right relationship is that I am God. And then like that hymn said, oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. Right? That hymn lays it out just so perfectly. He took my sorrows. He took my shame. And just to add to it, he took my guilt, he took my failures, he took everything. He carried that burden, and then God punishes in the same way that God killed that animal in Genesis in the beginning, in the same way he killed the animal instead of killing them, this time he kills his son. And his son pays for the failures of mankind, and right relationship is, stored, is restored. So there, there's the gospel, right? That's what the gospel is. It's the fact that somebody else has paid for the sin of mankind. And it's not just somebody else, it's God himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes to pay for the sin of mankind, comes to pay for those who rebelled against him. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, beautiful story. And so what 2 Corinthians says is that the God of this world is blinding the eyes of some so that they may not see that as what they need and restore the cycle of worship to God. 
blinding their eyes from that being this beautiful, I need Jesus to restore me to right relationship to God so that when I do eat peaches, it worships, it turns into worship to God, right? It says the God of this world. And so what we see is there are actually spiritual forces of darkness that are actively engaged in blinding you and me from the beauty of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the failure from yesterday, even if you're, you know, even if you're saved, the failure from yesterday and the failure from this morning results in a broken relationship with God, or so we think. It doesn't actually destroy the relationship, but we carry the, the shame and the guilt and the failure on us instead of giving it to Jesus. And so we become blinded to the beauty of Jesus. We carry this stuff around, and so the result is anxiety, bitterness, frustration, uh, greed, malice, envy, jealousy, whatever you want, whatever you feel, all those things you know that are there inside, uh, and they, they, don't, they just don't go away. So, what happens is there are spiritual forces that are actively trying to blind us from seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ and to running to him the first time so that we might find salvation and then running to him over and over and over every single day bringing all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our anger and all of our unforgiveness. It blinds us from seeing that that's what we need and these spiritual forces blind us from seeing that and so when we don't see it, the result is this lack of worship, this lack of joy, this lack of peace, this lack of freedom, right? And so this question is, what does the God of this world, like 2 Corinthians, say? what does the God of this world use to blind us? Um, because that's pretty important. If we're being blinded from the most glorious and beautiful thing in existence, how is, how is that happening on a daily basis? And I think it's going to be different for everybody, but what I think is it's pretty obvious to you, especially those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a little while. You know where those blind spots come in. Um, and so I think they can be good things. I think they can be bad things. I think it's really easy to be blinded by good things. I think it's really easy to be blinded to running to Jesus every single day because we're so focused on success in school or success in sports or success uh, after school. We're so focused on some good things like success, which is not a bad thing, but we get so focused and so driven in the wrong direction that we become blinded to the necessity of Jesus in our life on a daily basis. And what that feels like to you is an inability to worship. That's what it feels like on a daily basis. This, inability, this, this lack of overflow towards God in all things. And rather it feels like searching for things to satisfy and searching for things to worship that are not the creator but are the created things. That's what that feels like. And so I think, like I said, there's good things like success, like family, like your boyfriend, or, for some that's not a good thing at all, but some of you got a decent boyfriend, decent girlfriend, and still, both of you like trying to follow God with your life, but that can still be just a place where you're being blinded to the beauty of Jesus because there's so much focus inward. It can be religion. It can be church. 
They can be your friends. They can be good things that will blind you to the necessity and the beauty of Jesus. And in so doing, you turn from God, you carry your own burdens, and in the end, it results in this feeling of this lack of worship. That's just a great litmus test for that. It can also be bad things. It can be things specifically like unforgiveness and anger. All the time. All the time. So things happen in your life, and like it's the God of this world, spiritual forces of darkness, Satan, whatever you like to call that, begins to take the circumstances in your life and drive you towards unforgiveness and drive you towards frustration with your brothers and sisters and drive you towards anger and you just can't let it go. And so what does that feel like? It feels like no worship to God. The gospel is not this beautiful thing. It's just this thing that preachers talk about and it results in this lack of worship. And so again, I'm saying to you, as we jump into this narrative What does your worship, what's it directed to? And is it present that you can see? Does worship, overflowing worship to God happen seldom or often or occasionally? That's that's the question. I want you to be thinking about this whole time because I think that's a good, it's a good test to see if there's something in the way there, some sort of focus that you have that is not, in line with the purpose of your life and the purpose of creation and in line with God's will and direction for your life. Uh, And what 2 Corinthians says is the result of that is that you perish. So it's not just sort of like this bad time on the earth. The result is perishing. Death followed by judgment is basically what that is. Um, So... I asked you that question. I'll ask you again. Is your daily life, is daily life for you one of worship? Because right relationship with God, which is found in Jesus, right relationship with God, which is found in Jesus, always, 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 always results in worship. Always. Every time. Okay. Those aren't all my papers. Um, Okay, let's get to John 9. Let's get to John 9. And let's read this story. Um, I'm going to read a little bit. Um, I'm going to say a few things, and then I'm going to read quite a bit. I just want you to stay with me. Uh, John 9. As he passed by, this is Jesus and the disciples, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind so they thought that that his blindness was the result of specific sin either in his life or in his parents life so that god punished specific sin in their life with his disability that's, that's the way the Jews and the, these disciples are conceiving of disability. And then Jesus' answer. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
He's taking their eyes from causality, what caused his blindness, to the purpose of his blindness, which are sort of related, but not really. They're two sides of the same coin. Sin is the reason for human suffering. We know that. We know, like the story I just told you about the garden, we know that the reason suffering has entered into the human experience is because men rebelled against God. Okay, so we know that. Sin in general, turning from God, is the reason that human suffering has entered our experience. But that's not what he's saying here. They're asking if it was a specific sin that caused this specific disability. And he's saying, no, God has allowed this specific disability so that he might work something in it so that the glory of God might be displayed in it that's big that's huge actually that God might display his glory by allowing a man to be born blind and result in him having to beg for food his entire life that's hard especially if you're new to this Christian thing or new to this God thing that's hard to swallow a bit. I think there's a lot of questions that you could ask of God there. I don't think you have the right to really ask him. I think he has the right to do with his creation whatever he wants to do with his creation. And I still believe he's good in doing it. But those are really, really hard questions. Right? But he's saying the purpose of this man's blindness is that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Okay. And then I want to show you something about this man. I want to show you, I want to read the story, and I want to show you something about this man. Okay, keep going. We're going to read for a while. So y'all stay with me. Breathe in a little bit, get a little oxygen. We're going to read for a minute. It's going to be okay. Y'all are going to enjoy it thoroughly. I'm sure of it. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. This is Jesus talking. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, Jesus, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That is weird, bro. That's weird. Not only is Jesus healing the blind, which is weird, it's really weird the way he did it. And I have no explanation for it. Again, he's God. He has a right to do with his creation, whatever he wants to do, and it's good. But for some reason, he wants to spit on the ground. I think even spitting in his eyes would have been gross, but spitting on the ground and making mud and then rubbing it in his eyes is just, it's weird, but that's fine. It has a good outcome. The ends justify the means. Um, okay, so he goes into this pool and he comes back and he can see. Okay, so then we're going to get into what the Pharisees typically, typically do. They get angry about everything. About everything they get mad. But here they're going to get upset. Uh, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. 
And he kept saying, I am the man. I, I don't know. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud. He, he left out the spit part. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Okay, following the story? Okay, good, good. I think you are. Uh, They brought to the Pharisees. The the Pharisees, if you don't know, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the Jewish people. They have sort of come in, uh, and they are not the rightful rulers of the Jewish people. The Jewish uh, political system has a methods of, of putting up the right people. Uh, they have to be from a certain line, from a certain family, uh, from a certain lineage, and they have to act a certain way. Or they're, they're, they're not allowed to be priests, um, and they're not allowed to be the rulers. Okay, So you have kings coming from one line, and you've got priests coming from another line. These Pharisees are neither kings or priests. So they are not rightful rulers. They are like, they're like sort of like lawyers. They know the Bible, the Old Testament, really, really well, and they know it well enough to hang it over people's heads and get them to do what they want. So they're really great people. Um, so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. I can feel him getting frustrated. Like I told you all this story. All right. Uh, Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Okay, Pharisees. Sort of frustrating. This guy has been a beggar his entire life. He was born blind. He is now seeing. And the first thing they're like, No, 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 no. Jesus isn't from God. You know how we know? Because he doesn't honor the Sabbath. So the the Pharisees had made up these rules about things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. So there is in the Old Testament rules about what you can and cannot do in the Sabbath. If you know the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So there's one day a week where God's like, you will stop working. That's like you'll stop working. Because he had taken them from slavery where they made bricks every single day. And so this Sabbath thing is like a day of rest. Take a day off. Trust me. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make bricks every day. I've taken you from slavery. I've given you a land. So take a break, bro. Take a day off. You will. Or we'll take you outside the city and we'll stone you to death. Because we don't like people who work on the Sabbath, right? So there there is Old Testament biblical laws about taking the day off. But the Pharisees had made a much, much, much longer list of things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Um, And it is not the Old Testament law that you can't help people on the Sabbath. It's that you can't do work for yourself on the Sabbath. Jesus is helping someone. Like there in the Old Testament, you could pull your goat out of the ditch if the the goat's going to die and drown. You can do that on the Sabbath. You can save the goat's life. It's cool. We're not going to hold it against you. But the Pharisees had distorted the law so much so that they could hold it of other people and count themselves as righteous. They create all these laws and then they were like, we are the keepers of the law. And so when Jesus comes and heals the blind man, the Pharisees 
look at him and they're like, oh, you're not from God, man. You don't keep the Sabbath. And I'm like, you serious? You're serious. So, I'm going to give you a hint. Jesus healing this guy, he does it for two reasons. He's making a point about blindness, and he's also just doing a simple act of mercy on a guy who has been a beggar his whole life and blind. He is being merciful, pure and simple, but he's doing it in such a way to make the religious leaders angry, which is understandable. So you're going to see that coming. Um, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, the blind man, he's a prophet. At least, right? He's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. It's <laughs> killing me. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that it is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So you see his parents being little worms. They're like, no, he's old enough, don't ask us, we're out of here. He's blind, we know that, okay, we're leaving. Because they knew the Pharisees had an incredible amount of power. If you were, as a Jew, if you're kicked out of the synagogue, you have no, you are considered unclean in their culture. You are considered uh, ostracized from everything that your Jews do. You are considered unclean. You have no way to atone for your sin. You have no way to deal with your sin and your failures. You have, you have no place you can go. And most people didn't like the Jews anyway. So it was like you're kicked out of your own people and you don't really have anywhere else you can go. So the Jews were sort of looked down on. So to be kicked out of the synagogue is a big deal, and there's a reason why they're afraid of anyone naming Jesus as the Christ, because they are really afraid of what happens to them after they do that. And so they just try to worm their way out. Just ask him, right? Kick him out. Don't kick us out. Cool. Good, good people. Uh, So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This guy's hilarious. I love this guy. He is awesome. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Moses is a uh, Jewish, the, the Jewish 
sort of one of the most famous Jewish people. There's Abraham is really famous, and then Moses is like second famous. He's the one who gave the Jewish people their law. He is uh, the writer and the giver of the law. He is the one that freed them from slavery in Egypt. Moses is a big deal. Okay, so... Uh, Okay, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, speaking of Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's like laying it on thick. He's like, you people are dense. Like you're getting all hung up on the Sabbath. But never in history have we ever heard of someone being healed of blindness. And y'all are stupid. Like, I love him. He's, he's, he's right on. Uh, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So they're going back to that original question that the disciples asked. They're saying, you were born in utter sin. We know you were born in utter sin because you were blind. We know that from the get-go, you're a sinner. And so they're like, we don't, even, we, we don't, we don't care what you say. And they, they cast him out. So when it says they cast him out, it wasn't like they just kicked him out of the house. He's now cast out of the synagogue. He is now an exile from Jewish culture. He is now completely put out of all Jewish life. So he was having an okay day until this happened. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Okay, before we get into what, he's ta- what, he, what he says here, I want you all to remember, if you've been here at all through the last, I don't know, semester, um, John is always, always, always pushing you to believe. So I've said this, I think, every single time that we come in here on Sunday night. Uh, John lays out the purpose of his book at the end of the Gospel of John. He says, I'm writing all this down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you would have life in his name. And so John lays out all these different characters and all their different responses to Jesus and if they believe or if they don't believe in the type of belief that they have. Is it like a real genuine belief or are they just seeing signs and then seeing like, yeah, we'll sort of believe and then we'll run away when Jesus says weird things? Um, they're, they're all, he, John is always bringing you back to the place of belief. What do you believe? Not what have you done in your past. Not are you a good religious person. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the point that he's driving home every single time in every story that he writes and everything that he's doing in his gospel and in the other letters that he writes. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the question. Okay, so now that I said that, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may may become blind. Some of the Pharisees 
near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, Now follow it here. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. They said, are, we, are, are you saying all of this and did you do all this to accuse us of being blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So this is heavy. This is where I think I want us to sit for a little bit. There is, okay, and another thing that I've been laying out the whole time we've been looking at John is John is specific that he, he's, the other three Gospels are really driving home that Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one from God to take care of the sins of the world. But John is driving home that and something else, that Jesus is also God. And this is a big deal in Jewish life. The Jews were the only monotheists at the time. They were the only people on earth that believed in one single God. They were the only ones. And they prided themselves on their monotheism. They prided themselves on believing and understanding that God is one. He is sovereign and powerful and good and merciful. So that's what they pride themselves on. So when John is trying to say, not only is the Messiah, but he's God also, it's blowing their minds. Like They're not having it. Okay. And what is beautiful about the blind man who receives his sight, is that there is no one else in the Gospel of John who sees Jesus for who he is and worships him. There's no one else. Of all the people who Jesus interacts with in the Gospel of John, the only one that recognizes his deity is worthy of worship is the blind man. And John is doing that on purpose. He's doing that on purpose. And he's doing it, Jesus is doing it in front of the Pharisees on purpose, and then John's including this story in his gospel on purpose. The Pharisees are unable to respond properly to Jesus. All, I think all of, them had sev- all of them had their own reasons for not being able to respond. All of them had their own reasons for being blind to who Jesus was and being able to worship him in the way that we see. You don't see any other response like this man's response. You see the sort of halfway belief in some people. You see a good degree of faith in Jesus. But the blind man says very simply, Lord, I believe and I worship you. Every theme that John is trying to drive home, he drives home in the blind man, the blind beggar. That's, that's who is seen as the, having the best response to Jesus in this whole gospel, is the blind beggar. And so the Pharisees are unable to see Jesus for who he is, and thereby receive mercy, grace, forgiveness, Uh, the fullness of the covenants of the Israelites, all these things, they're unable because they all had their own things that were blinding them. Some wanted to retain the power of being a Pharisee. Some wanted to retain the wealth of being a Pharisee. Some wanted to retain the prestige of being a Pharisee. Some were just too scared to speak up. But all of them had been blinded to who Jesus was and were thereby unable to receive mercy, grace, 
forgiveness, healing, anything. And that's why Jesus says to him, hey, if you recognize that you were blind, you'd be cool. We'd have a place to go from. We'd have a starting place. But the fact that you think you get it and the fact that you think you understand it and the fact that you are not willing, even in the face of me making this guy see, there is something that you are choosing, choosing to keep in front of your eyes and you are content to stay blind. And if you would just realize that you were blind, we could go from there and this thing would be great. If you would just realize for a second you are blind and you don't get it, you don't see, there's a piece of the puzzle that you don't understand, if you could get that, we would have a place to go and we could move on from here. But instead, they're like, no, we get this, we see, we know what we want, we refuse you, and they will lead the people to crucify Jesus. And keep in mind, they still are looking for the Messiah. They just don't think Jesus is it. So they keep looking for the Messiah. Keep looking for the Messiah. And then about 40 years after this, they can't find the Messiah, so they revolt against Rome, and Rome destroys them. Completely and utterly destroys them. Had they turned to Jesus and recognized that he is the Messiah and also God, they would have found everything that they were looking for. But instead, he didn't come in the package that they want, and they knew it was going to cost them something. And so they said, nah, no, no, no. We understand. We see. So, that brings us to the question that I laid out at the beginning of this. That brings us to the question. If you were in right relationship to God, worship would be natural and overflowing. It wouldn't be perfect and constant and always there. You're human, and I get that. I'm human too. But it would be coming back to it. And it would be you realizing that I'm not in the right place and you coming back to God. It would be a life of repentance and coming back to God. Father, I've been straying from you, but I'm coming back. And enjoying the good graces of a loving Father. Enjoying freedom. Enjoying joy and peace. Which results in worship. That's what right relationship to God does every single time. Okay, so if we keep in mind that 2 Corinthians is really telling us the God of this world is actively trying to blind us to who Jesus is and then our need for the gospel. I just, I just want to ask you, and, and I, I think I'm realizing that we don't need to come up, I don't need to come up here every time and accuse y'all of egregious sin and that you need to turn and weep and repent. Like I think a lot of you are like walking with Jesus steadily. And I want this to be a place where we can we, we, we live in a culture that's a spectator. Like, we're all about spectating. We're all about, like, coming in and watching. Like, I'll come in, I'll sit in the pew, I'll listen to you talk, I'll watch everybody sing, and then I'm out. That is not what this has ever historically in, been intended to be. I want to push us to interact with God. And so I don't feel like, I don't feel like we're in a place where we need these 
this huge repentance and everybody turning from their wicked ways. I think we may be in a place, though, where a lot of us just need course correction. Like, I think a lot of you agree with who Jesus is. Like, I think you, a lot of you know who Jesus is and you're following Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, but on a daily basis, like 2 Corinthians says, the God of this world is throwing stuff in your face and sometimes you just take the bait and you sort of walk off. And I think that's where I, th- that's where I think we are. Um, I, we don't need to, I don't need to push towards this huge repentance, but I do want to push you pretty hard that I think some of you need course correction. Like, I think we need to take some time while Josh is singing tonight, um, and I'm, I want to lead us in a prayer where, where all we simply do is give the Holy Spirit freedom to show us things. Because I think a lot of times, bl- the weird thing about being blind to things is that you're blind to it. You don't really know what it is, but all you can do is really feel like worship isn't happening. I, I, I just feel, I don't, I don't even know. And, and that's where it sort of ends. And then you start playing video games. Or you go shopping online. And you ignore it for a while. I think that could be maybe the worst thing we could ever do. Um, and so, like I said, I think there are so many good things that you can be blinded with. I think you can be blinded by your job. I think you can be blinded by your success. You can be blinded by school. You can be blinded by so many good things in your life that are taking you from this direct worship of Jesus and this direct uh, ability to take the gospel and apply it to the failures of yesterday and the failures of today. Um, so, that, that's basically where I want to go. I... I I cannot look you in the eye and be like, hey, I know you're blind here and here and here. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit is absolutely faithful, and I think the only thing getting in some of, your, some, of, some of y'all's way is just like the Pharisees. You refuse to let it happen. You're, it's just a refusal. And because you can't quite put your finger on it, it's, hard, it's, it's easy to refuse. And so I, I want to lead us in a prayer, um, and I want you guys to spend some time interacting with the Father instead of just singing at Him and acting like everything is cool. When I think a lot of you know it's not completely cool. Like there's some things that need to be course corrected so that you can walk in right relationship with the Father again. And He is happy and willing to do so. So what this looks like is I'm just going to pray and and I want you guys to internally, you know if you're really saying, Holy Spirit, Show me anything you want to show me. I'm really open to it. Anything you want to show me, I'm really open to it. And sometimes I think you've got to tell yourself like seven times because you're sort of like, and you've got to be like, okay, 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 here. You can really, you can really have it all. And so I think that we need to do that tonight. And um, this is how we walk away from blindness in light of the gospel is very simply. Father, I feel like this has gotten in the way. Father, show me the beauty of Jesus. I believe that his sacrifice has covered everything. My failure yesterday, my failure today, my failure this morning, uh, my inability to follow you perfectly, anything that comes up, the gospel says it has been covered by the blood of Jesus, and therefore all you have to do is acknowledge that and walk in the good grace of God again because Jesus has done everything. So I'm not telling you, hey, realize you're not following Jesus well, and then I want you to like read the Bible front to back in the next two weeks and then commit to God that you're going to pray for 17 hours a day. Some of you do need to do that for real, though. Like 
Some of you, but anyway, I'm talking to you tonight. What I'm saying is, is how do we look at blindness in light of the gospel? And it's so simple. It's the same way we look at everything in the light of the gospel. We acknowledge the sacrifice of the Son and His appeasement of the Father based on His works and not ours. And we move on. We're done. We get out. We don't sit in it and try to convince Him that we're really, 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 really done with it. Let Him show you, acknowledge it, plead the blood of Jesus, which is all satisfying and move on to different things and so um, as always uh, I do not want this to be a spectator sport Uh, you are free as we sing to grab your friends if you need look if you're pissed at one of your girlfriends you that's one of the things I'm talking about that's blinded you it may be that you just need to grab them and y'all need to talk And acknowledge that the blood of Jesus covers both of y'all's stupidity and sin. And move on. In light of the gospel. Right? And uh, Garth and Holly are always here. If you ever need prayer for anything, whether it's you coming to this place and you're sort of like just wigging out or there's anything going on or you're feeling sick and you got a lot going on, just whatever. Like, they're always here. They want to pray for absolutely everything with you guys. They want to agree with you in prayer. And so they're always here before and after the sermon. Um, and so if you, don't, if you don't have someone that you really want to share that stuff with, if it's some really private stuff, that's what they're there for. Uh, and so as we sing, as we worship, feel free to come and just let them know and have them agree with you. And I feel like the walls shake when Garth prays for me. So... It's just really nice.